G'day. Welcome to the City Reach Family of Churches YouTube channel. You know, we know that uh, online resources are no substitute for, you know, live preaching in your own local church. But we pray that these messages will really bless you spiritually. If you want to find out more about City Reach and our churches, you can go to cityreach.com.au. Now we hope you enjoy this message. Let's thank our team this morning. It's done such a good job in serving us. Well, why don't you take a seat and on your way down, open up your Bibles to, or there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verse 9 this morning. You know, one of the things that I love about my daughter, Emma, and there's many things that I love about Emma, but one of the things that I love about Emma is that she has a genuine passion for music. Um, we've never had to tell Emma to practice. She would just go up into her room and she would just practice her, her instruments for hours and hours and hours on end. And just recently, it was really interesting that Emma uh, actually discovered my old violin. I, I played violin growing up and I actually became a violin teacher and she discovered my violin and over the last year, she has taught herself without a lesson to play violin because she has this genuine passion for music. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? When you find someone with genuine passion, what you will find is you find that they're infectious. When you find someone with genuine passion, they typically infect you with their passion, don't they? Or when you find someone who has a genuine passion for what they do, people with a genuine passion for what they do, they don't just stop when the job is done, they'll do more because they have a genuine passion to see their work done with excellence. And therefore, people with genuine passion, they really make you stand up and take notice, don't they? You really notice people who have genuine passion for what they do. Well, in the same way, I was thinking this week that churches that stand out and that make a difference, those churches have people in them who have a genuine passion for God who have a genuine love for God. There is a fire in the fireplace of their hearts for God. Now, the reason I say this is because we're continuing our series on Sunday morning called Ecclesia, the marks of a healthy church. As we've said, we, we actually can't grow the church. It's Jesus, he is the head, and he supernaturally grows the church as he works by his spirit in people's lives. But what we are responsible for is we are responsible to be a healthy church. And just, and I said, I've said many times that the health of a local church is really determined by the health of its members, by the spiritual health of the members in the church. You know, just as the health of our bodies is determined by the health of the cells in our bodies, so the health of this church is determined by the health of the members of this church. And so what I've been hoping sincerely is that every, every Sunday as you hear one of these marks, I've been hoping that you might go home, that you might, like, have an examination of your life and look at your life and see whether this mark that we're studying is actually present in your life. So the first mark we looked at is the first mark of a healthy church is it's built on a, a culture of grace. We're not trying to work our way to God, but rather we recognize that we're only saved by grace, but we respond to his grace with a life of surrender and dedication to him. Then we saw that the second mark of a healthy church is that in a healthy church, all the members of that healthy church are day by day studying the Bible. They're in the Bible for themselves. They're reading the Bible so that their thinking is being conformed to God's truth. 
And they're being transformed by God's truth, not being conformed to the values of a sinful society. And then last week, Pastor Jeff showed us that in a healthy church, the work is not just done by a select few, but in a healthy church, every member of that healthy church sees it as their responsibility to contribute to the work through their natural abilities and their spiritual gifts. But this, this morning, we come to the fourth mark of a healthy church. And the fourth mark of a healthy church is this, is that in a healthy church, the people in a healthy church have an authentic passion for God. In a healthy church, in the hearts of the members of the people, majority of the members in a healthy church, they have a fire in the, in the fireplace. There is a fire burning in their heart for God. Now, I get this from verse 11 of the passage that we're going to be studying today. We are studying verses 9 to verse 13 of Romans chapter 12. But verse 11, as you'll see, is right there in the middle of the paragraph. And let me read it to you. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy when it comes to your passion. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be full on, be fervent, be fired up for God, Paul is saying. You know, the expression fervent in spirit is an idiom. It's a slang expression. Now, we... We have slang expressions that we use. For example, if you go outside and it's really raining really heavy, you say it's raining what? Cats and dogs. So it's not literally like raining Winstons. Winstons aren't falling from heaven. That's my dog. He, he turned 12 yesterday. But it's not literally raining cats and dogs. No, that's just an idiom that we use. And Paul here uses an idiom. He says, let your spirit boil up to overflowing. So he's talking about that inward passion. Be fervent in spirit. In a healthy church, the members of a healthy church have a fire in the fireplace. Now, why do you think it is that Paul actually commands us here not to be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit? Why does he command us? I mean, this is, Paul is not making a suggestion. This is in the voice of command. He's saying, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Why does Paul command us this way? Because Paul, I think, knows that there is this tendency to drift away from fervency towards God, that we can encounter God, and maybe you have when you became a Christian or you had a, a time of renewal of, in your faith where you encountered Jesus and his greatness and his glory, and you were set on fire for him. You were aglow with him. But Paul knows that if you don't continue to stoke that fire, if you don't continue to put logs on that fire, that fire can grow dim. And there can just be embers in the fireplace. You know, churches, they tend to go through these patterns, these predictable patterns. God moves in a church in a powerful way, reviving the church, and the church sees the power of the gospel and the power of King Jesus. And then they experience vital Christianity where God is present and working in the church and you hear testimonies of how God is working and you hear baptisms of how God is transforming people and their testimonies and it's, and it's powerful and it's wonderful and that's, they're experiencing vital Christianity. But if you don't watch out and if you allow things to creep in, vital Christianity can soon move to cold orthodoxy. And cold orthodoxy doesn't seem that bad because the people in the church, they still have the right beliefs, they still have the right thoughts, 
but now they're just living off the vapors of the past. And they start to say things, do you remember when we had a great youth program? They start reminiscing about the great times and the great ways that God worked in the past because now everything is now in the past, it's not in the present. And if they don't watch, cold orthodoxy can soon slip, if they don't return to God, it can soon slip into dead orthodoxy. We have the language of faith and you have the forms of faith, but there is nothing happening in the church. There's no real, real thing going on in the church. And sadly, when that happens, the next generation inherit cultural Christianity. They just inherit a form of Christianity where they know the language of faith, they know the th forms of faith, and sadly what often happens is they have just enough Christianity to inoculate them against the real thing. Because I've seen kids think that they really know what Christianity is all about and they'll walk away from Christianity, but they've actually never experienced vital Christianity. Christ is at work in his church. Um, Howard Snyder, he's, he believes that as you read through uh, the New Testament, that you can see this slide in the New Testament in the, in the first century church. I mean, when you read about the, the early church in Acts 2, you read about them having this vital experience of, of being filled with the Spirit and them giving and selling their possessions to anyone who had need, praising God in the temple, enjoying favor with God and man, and God is adding to their number those who are being saved. But when you come to the end of the first century and you come to the last book of the Bible, which was written last, the book of Revelation, and you hear Jesus' assessment of the seven churches in Asia Minor, it's not a good assessment. He says to the church at Ephesus, you've lost your first love. He says to the church at Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He says to the church at Laodicea, you are lukewarm. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So let me ask you a question this morning. Where's your spiritual fervency this morning? Is there a fire in the fireplace of your heart? Or are you just living on memories of the past, of how God worked in your life in the past? Is there any present testimony of how God has been working in your life in the present? Have you done anything recently because God, because you love Jesus? You've turned away from something because your love for Jesus is more than that thing. How do you regain your spiritual fervency? Well, genuine passion for God is important in the church for two reasons. Two reasons. The first reason that we need genuine passion for God is because genuine passion for God will lead to a culture of genuine love in the church. Look down in verse 9 in your Bibles. Paul says, let love be genuine. Let it be real. Let your love not be fake. And then Paul goes on to describe genuine love. And the first thing that he says is that genuine love is not just mere sentimentalism. You know, it's not just about gooey feelings that you might have for other people. You know, nowadays, people tend to define love as just a feeling. It's just a feeling that you have. But for Paul, genuine love is not just mere sentimentalism. It's not just gooey feelings. 
Notice what he goes on to say in verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Abhor. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, when you first read that, it's very hard to see the connection between abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good and genuine love. But there is a real connection. Because you see, God's love for you is a purifying love. It's a holy love. God just doesn't let you go your own way to destruction, but he actually steps in and will discipline you and bring you back. You see, genuine love is a robust love. A genuine love um, risks hurting feelings in the present to make sure that there isn't future destruction. Uh, I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad ran cattle, and we also had a watermelon patch. And, uh, you know, with the watermelon patch, those jolly crows would come and eat our watermelons. That's why I've always hated the crows. <laughs> Don't kill me, all right? <laughs> and... Um, in order to like, keep the crows away from the watermelons, we had a number of different strategies. My dad set up this big boom cannon that would go off every like 20 minutes over the watermelon patch. Boom, boom, boom. You would have loved to be our neighbors, wouldn't you? <laughs> Fortunately, there was no neighbors for miles, but he had this big boom cannon. He also, one of the other things he did was he got some bread and he laced it with poison so that the crows would eat the bread and goodbye crows. <laughs> Well, my dad told me this story because I don't remember it, but apparently when I was three years old, I was um, with him at the watermelon patch and he was off doing something else. And then um, he came back and he saw that I'd been eating this poison bread. And you know what my dad immediately did? He immediately got me and he put his fingers down my throat and he made me vomit up that poison bread and he saved my life. Now, I'm certain that being three years old, that as he put his fingers down my throat, I would have resisted him. I would have like tried to kick him and, and scream and yell at him for putting his fingers down my throat because that wasn't very pleasant. But he loved me enough to forgo my feelings in order to save my life. And you see, this is what genuine love does. Genuine love is a holy love where we will risk hurting people's feelings in the present to save them from future destruction and future harm. I'm so glad for the people in my life, and some of them are in this church, who have loved me enough to come to me at moments and risk offending me and hurting my feelings in order to actually help heal me and bring God's truth into my life. That's genuine love. But genuine love is also not just mere sentimentalism. Genuine love is also not superficial. Verse 10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. I had brothers. We had this amazing affection among us. We'd wrestle and fight and do all sorts of things, but we knew that we were still brothers, that we were still loved. And that's what happens in a family, like in a family, often in a family, the people in your family may hurt you more than anyone else, but in the end of the day, they're family, and you're not going anywhere. 
You know, the love that should be in a church family should be that same sort of love. It's not a superficial love that says, I'm just going to say that I love you or come and go in your life, but I'm going to be here because we are family. We have the same Father. We are family. It's not superficial. And finally, genuine love, Paul says, is not selfish. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Honor. Um, True love or genuine love seeks to promote others and consider others more highly than yourself. Now, we're not really great in Australia at actually showing honor, are we? We, we, like, uh, we love to sort of tear each other down. And as I sort of tried to explain to Pastor Graham when he came here, I said, if we tease you, Graham, that means we actually love you, all right? So, so, so don't take it personally. That's just the Aussie way, all right? But we're not too good at showing honor. But our other cultures are very good at showing honor. This is actually, look at, look at this, this is actually a certificate of appreciation that our brothers in Nepal gave me uh, for doing the BSL leadership course for a week. Look how intricate it is, how gold it is. Beautiful, isn't it? They gave that to me, and I was showing this to Ollie this week, and he said, if they gave that to you for doing a week of ministry, imagine if you did something significant, what they'd give you. <laughs> so... But you see, genuine love is not mere sentimentalism, it's robust, it's not superficial, it's a brotherly, family love, where we're in it together for the long haul, and it's also about honoring others, because you see, genuine love is actually not about getting at all, it's about giving. And that's, you see, the word that Paul uses in verse 9 for love is the word agape, and throughout the book of Romans, he's already used this word to describe God's love, but now he uses the word to describe our love for one another. A love where we, where I will love you regardless of how you respond to me. It's a one-way love. I don't, I, need, I don't need to get anything. I'm gonna give you my love. I'm gonna give you my affection. I'm gonna love you often in spite of you and how you respond to me. That's how I'm gonna love you because that's how God loves us. And you see, this is why you need genuine passion for God. Because it's only as you experience his agape love and you're filled up to overflowing with his agape love that you will be able to love others with an agape love. But also, the beautiful thing <laughs> is that this love doesn't just stay within the family of God but it spills over into the community, into those outside of the family of God. And this is the second reason why we need to have authentic passion for God. Look in verse 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, when we read the word hospitality, we typically think of like restaurants and the whole like hospitality industry, right? Who here has worked in hospitality before? You know, you know what I'm talking about. That's a whole industry out there. But biblically speaking, this word hospitality means the welcome of strangers. You know, in the first century, they often didn't have inns in many of the towns, so that when strangers came into a new village or town, um, they would show them hospitality. They would bring them into their homes, and they, would, and they would give them lodging, and they would give them food. That's what it meant to be hospitable in the first century. And so Paul here is calling the church to be a place where we show God's welcoming love to those outside of the church, to those who come in. 
You know, um, on Thursday night, we had at the church our hospitality team meeting. Who was here at the hospitality team meeting? All right, let's give those people a round of applause. They serve us really well. Um, and uh, what I said to our team, our hospitality team, is I said, we not only want to have a team of people who are actually um, providing hospitality at various evangelistic events that we put on to actually welcome people, but we also, what I would love, here's my vision, I would love to have a culture of hospitality in the church, a culture of hospitality, where we are all seeking to obey this commandment to show hospitality, so that when new people came into the church, they come into the church and we're looking out for new people and new people get instantly an invitation to coffee or a meal or they get an invitation to come over to your house. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that would be way better than any strategy that I could think of. <laughs> if as soon as new people come into the church, we just, we just, we just jump on them. Well, we don't jump on them, but we, just, we're, we get alongside of them and we say, come over to my house. We want to welcome you into the family of God. Now, for that to happen, the problem with hospitality, let's be honest, is hospitality can be a bit of a drag because, you know, you have to clean your house, right? You know what I'm talking about? You have to think of something to cook. Like, it'll cost you if you're going to be hospitable. You've actually got to, it can be a bit of a drag. It can be tiring to demonstrate hospitality. But once again, this is where the genuine passion for God comes in. Because when we realize that we have been welcomed with the welcoming love of God, that God went to immeasurable lengths to send his son to our sinful world to demonstrate to us his welcoming love, we will welcome others with the welcome that we have received in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 15. So that's why we need to be a, a people with genuine passion for God. Because if we're a people with genuine passion for God, it will lead to a culture of genuine love inside of the church. And that will then spill out to the welcoming of people outside of the church who are unlike us, who we welcome in because we've been welcomed by Christ. So let me ask you the question again. Is there a fire in your fireplace? Where's your spiritual fervency this morning? Is your spiritual fire going out? You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the excuses that I often use, and maybe you use these too, in order to justify our lack of spiritual fervency. One of the excuses I think that we can often use is we can often say, well, Timon, you know, spiritual passion is all good for people like you. You know, passionate sort of extroverted people. But I'm not that sort of person. Do you know, spiritual fervency isn't a question of your personality at all. In fact, it might be more difficult, there might be more of a danger for people like me because people like me can fake it, can pretend to be passionate for God when there's really actually nothing going on at all. You know, some of the most fervent people that I have met have not been people who have a lot of, like, who put on a big air and, and you know, they'd make a lot of noise, but they have just been quiet people 
The waters run deep and they have this quiet, deep passion for God. This morning I was greeted by Heather Brazil. And Heather asked me, where are your prayer points, Pastor Timon? I want to pray for you. She is a woman who has genuine passion for God. Genuine passion for the Lord. So it's not a question of your personality. You know, I think also one of the justifications we can use is we can say, well, if I become this person who is full on for God and passionate for God, I don't want to be like a weird Christian. You know, have you met weird Christians? You know, I don't want to be a weird Christian like you, maybe, Timon. I don't want to be a weird Christian. You know, there, there is this thing that happens sometimes where people encounter God and then their spiritual fervency almost becomes an idol in their life and it becomes a, a thing of self-righteousness where they judge other people for their lack of fervency. That's not what I'm talking about at all, at all. Now, it's not about being weird. It's about being authentic. It's about being real. But also, I think, and I, I find this as I move now into middle life, you wouldn't think, but I'm, I'm a middle-aged man now, I guess. Come to accept that. Um, don't laugh, Abby. <laughs> um, and, uh, and as you move into the middle age, you can become very, very cynical. You know, spiritual fervency and passion is for like young adults. It's for young people. But I've seen it all before. It's not really for, for us. It's not really about us. But do you realize that in the Bible, the people that, some of the people that God called were not young people? How old was Moses when God called him to go and lead the people out of Egypt to the promised land? How old was he? 80. How old was Abraham when God spoke to Abraham? Yeah, he was an old man. <laughs> so it's not about your age. And it is true that through the different seasons of your life, you will, your spiritual fervency will express itself differently. When you're a young person, it'll express itself in being a passionate young person. When you've got kids and you're getting married and all of that sort of thing's happening. It'll express itself in a different way there. It'll express itself a different way when you come into middle age. It'll express itself differently when you get, become an older person, a more mature person. But still, there is something about spiritually fervent people. There is a fire in the fireplace. So don't let that lie of Satan get into your thinking that this is not for me. This is, you know, I've seen that all before. This is just for young people. It's not about that. Not about that at all. So once again, how do, you, how do you reclaim your spiritual passion, your spiritual fervency for the Lord? Well, I want you to look down in your Bibles, and I think this is the key. Look down in verse 11. Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We lose our spiritual fervency when something else becomes Lord of our lives, when something else becomes the functional Lord of our hearts, our spiritual fervency will start to slide. And so in order to regain your spiritual fervency, I think the only way that you can regain your spiritual fervency is to have an encounter with Jesus again, where you see his greatness and his glory again because 
we tend to forget his beauty and his glory and his greatness. And therefore, we lose our fire for him. And maybe that's what's happened in your life is that you need an encounter with Jesus again. Now, I'm not saying maybe, you know, for some people it will be a retreat or it will be at a conference or it'll be something like that where, where they will catch a glimpse again of the greatness and glory of King Jesus. But maybe for some of you, it will just be as you read the Bible in our Bible reading experience and as you read the Bible progressively, you will see the greatness and glory of King Jesus again. But when you see the greatness and glory of King Jesus again, it reorientates your heart and you start to see what you have come to functionally serve and put above him. You know, I think of in Luke 5, Peter had been out all night fishing and Peter came in and he was mending nets by the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus was teaching the people, and because there were so many people, Jesus said, Peter, can I use your boat? And so Jesus got into the boat, and he started to preach from Peter's boat. Well, after he finished, Jesus turned to Peter, and he said, Peter, I want you to push out into the deep water, and I want you to throw down your net. And what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, I've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. In other words, Jesus, I know about fishing. I'm a fisherman. You know about carpentry. You're a carpenter. But what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, because it is you, I'll do it. And he threw out the net and all these fish rushed into their nets and there was so much fish that they had to go and get other boats, other boats to come and haul in the catch because there was so much fish. And then when Peter came to land, he then fell on his face before Jesus and he said, Jesus, depart from me, I am a sinful man. He came face to face with the greatness and the glory of King Jesus. And in light of his greatness and his glory, all of his heart was exposed, his sin was exposed, his unbelief was exposed. And maybe you need to push out into the deep. Maybe Jesus is calling you to push out into the deep. Don't live off the vapors of the past. I'm grateful that when I was 18, Jesus spoke to me when I read that Keith Green book and I encountered his greatness and glory then, I'm grateful that a few years later at a Hillsong conference, I saw the greatness of glory of Jesus and he called me to be a pastor, but I can't live off those past experiences. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter three that the pathway of transformation, the Bible says, is that we all with unveiled faces beholding, what does it say? The glory of the Lord are transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory. When was the last time you glimpsed that glory? When was the last time you glimpsed the glory of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus? Have you become so familiar with him and the things of God 
that it no longer moves you. You see, how do you reclaim that spiritual fervency? It, it just, it is about actually encountering Jesus. Through his word and by the spirit, seeing the weightiness of who he is. You know, Peter had forgotten who Jesus was. It's interesting when you trace it down, Peter had already seen Jesus before. He'd already been called by Jesus to come and follow him. But he'd gone back to fishing and he'd forgotten the greatness and glory and weightiness of Jesus. I was talking to a person this week about Jesus. I was sharing the gospel with this beautiful person. And I was saying, you know, it's like, it's not about religion. Like, like she had all these problems with the church and everything like that. And I'm like, no, it's, it's actually not about what you think it's about. It's not about that. This, this, is not a, this is not a, we're not here just to perform things for the church. And when it becomes about the church, everything goes wrong. It's about the head of the church. It's about Jesus. It's not about a preacher. When we make it about a preacher, about a certain person who has a gift, then we go wrong. It's not about that. It's even not about an experience that you can have. It's about glimpsing and savoring the beauty of Jesus. That's what it's about. And I'm so fearful, I'm so fearful for myself as I head into middle age and for some of us as we head there that we just become so familiar. Or maybe some of us are there already. <laughs> we become so familiar and we don't cry out to Jesus to give us fresh manna from heaven. I don't want to live on yesterday's vapors. It's one of the things I've loved about the journey that Pastor Paul's been on for the last five years as he's been doing the Bible reading program. And I think he would testify this to you if he was here. He would say that the major person that that has changed has been himself. As he's studied God's word, he's seen more beautiful things about God and about Jesus than he's never seen before in his life. And, and isn't that what it's all about, guys? Isn't that what it's all about? It's about him. It's about him. So have you lost your spiritual fervor, your spiritual passion? The health of this church will be largely determined. And, I'm, and please get me here. I know that at times I may have tried to manipulate and produce spiritual passion, but you can't actually produce it in your own strength. And I think that there's often a lot of people who try to manipulate and try to produce spiritual passion. It's not about that. It's, a, it's something authentic and something real that we have to ask God to give us. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. Lord, I just pray for us today that you would just speak to our hearts and show us the beauty and glory of King Jesus. That you would awaken hearts to his glory and his greatness in a fresh way. 
through the word and by the Holy Spirit. I know you're calling Carl and Beck to step out into the deep, to do something that they in their own strength cannot do. And it is going to be at that point that you meet them, Lord. And I just pray once again for them that as they step out into the deep, that you would meet them and they would know you in a deeper and more rich way. But I pray for all of us here that we would, we would step out into the deep. And in that place, we would meet you and see and savor your greatness and your glory. Lord, help us to not only do that on church on Sundays, but Lord, to do that every day of the week as we pick up the Bible and we read it. May we see and savor the Lord Jesus on every page as we see his beauty and his glory displayed on every page of the scriptures. Oh Lord God, we worship you, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you.